Please turn your wonderful Bibles to the 84th Psalm. This psalm is most likely written by David. Most scholars agree. Uh, this psalm expresses the author's deep longing for the presence of God. Uh, not only do we, should we long for the presence of God by being with him as we fellowship with the saints on the Lord's Day or any other day, but also we should have a longing for God to want to be with him in eternity. The psalm is a diverse compilation of genres, first a hymn, then a prayer, then a lament, and a song of Zion. And the division of this psalm will be as follows. Verses 1 through 4 is a longing for the courts of the Lord Almighty. Verses 5 through 7 is the blessing on the pilgrims. And 8 through 9 is praying for God's blessing on the king. Verses 10 through 11 is a hymnic praise. And verse 12 is the blessing of God. Father, I pray that you will help us worship you by the reading of your word, Lord. As I stand not inside a pulpit or on top the pulpit floor, but we stand on the rock of our salvation. We stand upon the authority of your word, that your scriptures is what we will use to speak to us. And we pray that Christ would also be exalted even in this psalm, and that your Holy Spirit will teach us and equip us. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, amen. Again, verses 1 through 4 is longing for the courts of the Lord God Almighty. Let us begin with an exposition of the first two verses, beginning with verses 1 through 2. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. In verse 1, he said, How amiable are thy tabernacles and Lord of hosts. Uh, This word amiable in the Hebrew means beloved. Beloved. It is used ten, uh, excuse me, ten times in the scriptures. It's also translated in some of your translations as how lovely or oh how dear to me. And this word tabernacle, say that three times fast. Tabernacle is the Hebrew word mishkan, which is a dwelling place. It's a place to dwell. The temple then was the place where God chose to reveal his presence, his particular presence, to his people. But we, while we Christians do not have to travel to a specific place or a location to enjoy God's presence, this psalm broadcasts the longing to be closer to God and the nearness of Christ. And today, though we particularly and specifically worship the Lord on this Lord's Day, as we try, strive to obey that commandment to keep the Lord's day holy in the sanctuary where we congregate, hence the congregation. But it is our privilege to know, as a Christian people, that our God has always been omnipresent and that he is everywhere at the same time. And that we can also experience his presence even when we're home. Even when we, my wife and I, stayed home, unfortunately, during the prayer service Thursday night, we were still in the presence of God. But there would have been more fellowship, a more meaningful presence of God in Christ amongst being with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As a matter of fact, 
God dwells inside our bodies. He dwells in these temples, in these tabernacles, in these tents, inside these vessels. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. Oh my goodness, yes, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now listen to this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Moving on to verse 2, he said, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. And this longeth in the Hebrew means to become pale, to pine after, to fear, to desire, to be greedy for us, a good greedy, to be greedy for God, to be greedy for his presence, to greed, to want to have more of him, to long for or to be sore for. Since it is a verb, one, one scholar described this word as this, as the greed of the lion for his prey. As a lion greeds for his prey, we should be greedy for the presence of God. I'm greedy for the second coming of Christ. I long for the second coming of Christ. That is another way of longing to be in the presence of God. And it is possible that he could return for his church while we are all still alive. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be glorious, that we would never experience a physical death. We'd have something to talk about in heaven, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be glorious? A great experience. We would not be here to watch it on the news, breaking news. Something terrible has happened. No, something glorious happened. Amen? And the word fainteth here... Uh, means to complete or to put an end to. And the word courts implies that there are more places than one. The word is plural, courts, more places than one. One scholar said the following of this word courts. My whole nature is intensely wrought up to desire not only the privilege of worship, but actual communion with God. Without God, all rights, though divinely appointed, profit not. This verse, more than any other verse, shows the psalmist was now in some way deprived of the privileges of the sanctuary, either in the time of Saul or in the rebellion of Absalom. It's a crying shame that so many people are still deprived of fellowship in the sanctuary. I need to keep on bringing COVID up, folks, but it is a part of our life. It's been an important part of our life. But we're talking 13 months now after, uh, you know, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of this lockdown. And people are sadly still deprived from the sanctuary. As you said, this verse is more that shows that the psalmist was now in some way deprived of the privileges of the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a privilege, but it's also a commandment. And in verse 2, he also says, My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. This reveals that the object of his devotion is not the building temple itself, but the living God who revealed himself in the temple. We must never place an emphasis on the building or the decor 
or in some cases, excuse me for saying this, but the religious paraphernalia. We must always long for the living God who dwells in there and everywhere. I know when we were knew that we would have to move, we didn't move from a church. This church moved from a building in Crestline, and we were praying of where to go. I don't think anybody liked my answer. I said, I'll help look around, but I would love a home church, a house church, just like Acts 2, and nobody wanted to hear that. And one day when we got snowed in due to a snowstorm about a month ago, we had church at the Church of Legoes. That's where we met, the Church of Christ at the Legoes home. And it was glorious. And we had food afterwards. Never concentrate too much on the building, although... We are all very thankful for this gorgeous sanctuary that we have. Today, Jews still worship the Western Wall. It's common for people to, to place their hand on the wall and say a prayer. Previous presidents have also done that. It's a great photo op. It's a great Kodak moment. It'll win over the evangelical vote, which I'm not, by the way. I used to call myself an evangelical, but now we know that word is... A loose paraphrase of all kinds of nonsense. I'm not an evangelical. I'm a born-again bond slave to Christ. I belong to his royal priesthood. We've been written in his Lamb's book of life. That's who we are. We're not an Americanized evangelicals. But the fact is, is putting your hand on the wall and praying to God through that wall is flat-out, straight-up idolatry. Roman Catholics undoubtedly worship their cathedrals, their sanctuaries, rosaries, and religious artifacts. Mormons worship their local buildings and won't even allow you inside some of the rooms or particular rooms. And they treat their temples, the building they call a temple, as if it was God's throne room. During the grand opening, which was actually national news, they opened a temple in our city in Redlands, which is unusual. In the, I'm not going to call it a Mormon church, but in the Mormon religion, having a temple built is a huge thing. That's almost like Rome for the Roman Catholics. And for apologetics purposes only, my wife and I went on the tour where they opened the public to come and walk through, and they made us cover our feet with these white coverings. It allegedly secures some type of sacredness inside their building that they call a temple. There was rooms in parts of the temple that we were not even allowed to look at because it was secret and sacred, according to them. Of course, my wife had to tell me to behave, as she always does. Sorry, folks. The pulpit's not a place to make jokes, but I guess that did sound funny, didn't it? Well, speaking at a conference in Maryland, the host that picked me up at the airport... Uh, said that, hey, the SDA is a big thing over here. This is a Seventh-day Adventist community. Would you like to see the headquarters? And he said, sure. Again, for apologetics purposes, he took me through there. And their founder, false prophetess Ellen G. White, has her own secret vault room inside this headquarters, a sacred, secret room with all of her personal effects inside this vault. You can't even open it. Nobody has access to it that's living today. I says, I can hire a locksmith. Let's go through it. The true belief, truly, they truly believe that this fosters an environment of sacredness. This religious atmosphere that man builds up with their flesh. 
But Christians, notice how he did not call any of them Christians, but we Christians and other born-again Christians, we worship the Most High God Almighty. We worship the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not cathedrals, not sanctuaries, not rosaries or other idols, not even this sanctuary that we're very thankful for. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, we will see a positive result of longing for God. Beginning with verse 3. Yea, the sparrow hath found in house, and the the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They that will still still be praising thee, say law. Again, say law. Pause. Perhaps the psalmist here is jealous for the freedom that the birds have. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid growing up watching Superman and Batman and all these wonder heroes. I actually thought I could fly if I tried. I tried to fly. I tried to jump. It's a good thing I didn't jump out of any buildings, but I did try to jump from the ground thinking that I can fly. I was so into wanting that type of freedom. Uh, The freedom to fly to their own tabernacle. The freedom to build their own home or their own nest near the altar of their creator. And perhaps the psalmist had that jealousy that he wished he could be like the sparrows or like the swallow building his nest up high. As a give me liberty or give me death kind of man, I can relate to this. I love this passage in Isaiah 40, 31, this verse. But those who wait on the Lord, and this applies to Christians, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Christians, are you weary? Do you feel like fainting when you're walking? I was talking to Pastor Mike earlier how sometimes my heart doesn't pump enough blood down in my legs. I guess it's supposed to pump downwards too. And sometimes my legs just kind of give out on me and I, I fall. My, my knees just bend and I'm down. I'm, not, I'm down like a sack of potatoes. And sometimes we, we get weary, either physically or spiritually. Uh, But it says that, spiritually speaking, especially in glory, in the presence of the Lord, uh, we shall not run, and when we run, we shall not be weary, we shall walk, and we shall not be faint. That's good news. That's encouraging. It's a good passage, a good verse to share with an elderly at a convalescent hospital or a rest home. I love liberty. I love freedom. But our true liberty is in Christ. He is the liberator. Christ is the one who emancipates us. For he has set the captives free. Paul struggled with his desires to be with the Lord. He really did. He actually wanted to die. Uh, He's been through more than any of us as far as persecution is concerned. And he said this in Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. Man, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
That's a good verse to minister to somebody, not just read to, but labor and minister to somebody who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. To die in Christ is to gain. Sure, we have things to do here, and we need to be busy doing the Father's business and kingdom building, but it's going to be far better on the other side. Next in verses 5 through 7 is the blessing on the pilgrims. Back in verse 4 he said, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. And now in verse 5 he says, Blessed is the man or woman whose strength is in thee, in whose hearts are the ways of them. As we all heard far too many times, the government, federal, state, and local have all said it's, we're better off staying at home. And I say, we say, hogwash. That's hogwash. I don't know what that means in the Greek, Lauren, but she's got a very confused look on her face right now. Hogwash. Because the Bible says here and throughout the scriptures that we will be better off in fellowship with each other. Amen? Much better off with each other. As we dwell in the house of thy Lord, and we do this because our strength is not in a mask nor social distancing, but our strength is in the Lord our God. As one author said, the blessings connected with a, general, with a regular and devout attendance at God's house are so many and so great that the strongest terms may well be employed to describe them. Even the visitor of the sanctuary may be blessed. By those whom dwell there are share of great and numerous mercies. In nothing is the force of good habits more seen than in the lively and thankful worship of God's house. Amen. Close quote. So, Lord, Father, God, let us be more like this. Let us be more like this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now listen to this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it is as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That day is approaching. The great second coming of Christ is approaching. We'll talk more about stirring one another up in love and good works on Sunday school, because we're going to do something different today in Sunday school. Moving forward to verses 6 and 7. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. This valley here was along the highways of Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem. Imagine the heat there. It's in the desert. It's not like it is here in the mountains. It was known to be abundant with fruit-bearing mulberry trees. Water and mulberry and fruit coming from these trees. 
In the heat of the Middle East, these trees were delicious and very satisfying as they provided shade in the heat for sojourners. And during the rains in the Valley of Baca, these trees provided a cool spot to drink the water that God gives. I take this for granted. We can buy bottled water or food anywhere in America. I take this for granted. If God really wanted to judge America or chasten those whom he loves, he can turn the water faucet off. But by God's grace, he hasn't done that yet. See, it's God that fills our pools, our wells, our rivers, and our bottles. And, of course, we had a fast food restaurant on the way here today. He even filled our paper bags. I believe what the scripture is saying here is, Blessed is the man who longs for the Lord, who fellowship with his saints, and who travels in his will according to the paths that he directs us on. Though in this passage we see much of God's providence, but we also see strength and character. In verse 7 he said, Thy go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Today we all know professing Christians, unfortunately, and the truth is, is only by the grace of God, so go I, because I was one of them too at one time, professing Christians who give us plenty of reason to doubt their salvation. But we also know Christians that we consider to be solid, that we consider to be sold out to the Lord and not sellouts to this world system. Let us desire the reputation of the one described right here in verse 7. Whom go from strength to strength. Consistent, dependable, reliable brothers and sisters in Christ. Or as one, one other said, quote, Devout worshipers advance in vigor and religious character. Close quote. That would be a good bio for your Facebook. It almost sounds like we're boasting in ourselves, but that's what we should want to be, is devout worshipers advance in vigor and religious character. Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorites, whoops, I'm not supposed to say that. Another sinner by the name of Jonathan Edwards described the strength of strength as growing stronger and growing stronger as he walks. Christians, are we going stronger and stronger as we walk? We'll talk more about that on Sunday school. Calvin said, The saints are continually acquiring fresh strength for going up to Mount Zion and continue to prosecute their journey without weariness or or fatigue until they reach the wished-for place and behold the countenance of God. End of quote. Next, in verses 8 through 9, is prayer for God's blessing on the king. And we know we we pray for blessings on politicians, too. We pray in precatory prayers for some politicians. We pray prayers of blessings upon other politicians. We can pray for all sorts of kings, all sorts of leaders, all sorts of civil magistrates, etc. O Lord, God of hosts, verse 8, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, say law. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. As he asks God, as he cries out to God to hear his prayer, he calls them their shield and said to them, because I believe this is in reference to the Father and the Son. 
I believe this is in reference to Jesus, the Father and the Son. Commentator John Gill, if you don't have it, you should. At least you can read him online. John Gill said, it is best to apply this to Christ, afterwards called the Son and Shield. Because Christ is our Son and Shield. Christ is our King, our Ruler, our Defense, our Shield, and even the Savior of sinners. Regarding him being our defense, you know, the scriptures actually tell us to not sin. I don't think you hear that enough in pulpits today in America. It does tell us not to sin all throughout the scriptures. This one here tells us not to sin, but because we're sinners, we're going to sin, and it tells us what we should do when we do sin. And this is very encouraging, Christians. 1 John 2 1 says, My little children, speaking to the body of Christ, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. It doesn't say that you will never sin. It says so that you may not sin. Now, listen to this. And then if, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate in the Greek means defense. I don't mean to undermine whom Christ is, but he is our defense. And he's never lost a case. He's the greatest attorney that one can have. That he represents us on judgment day as he stands before the judge. He is the defense attorney that walks before the throne room of God, dressed in his majesty and glory, and he pleads our case. It is finished. I propitiated that sinner's sins. I've expiated him. I've expunged his record. I've emancipated him or her. I have paid his or her sin debt, Father. I declare him or her righteous, Father, because of the righteousness that I have, because I am Lord. That's our defense that we have, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Next, moving on to verses 10 through 11, is a hymnic praise. Verse 10 says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. As we all know, God's word was originally in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. In the Aramaic, the Chaldeans Chaldeans translated verse 10 as this, For it is better to dwell in the court of thy sanctuary one day than to spend a thousand in exile. I no longer listen to contemporary Christian music. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I don't legislate that conviction to others, because that would be legalism, but I have that conviction myself. Uh, The phrase Christian music is an oxymoron, because Christ did not die for a genre. He did not die or atone for the sins of a music genre. He did not atone for Christian music, nor for a Christian movie, but he did atone for the sins of God's elect. Nevertheless, we've probably all heard the postmodern contemporary song by Matt Redman. It's one of the more decent contemporary songs that I actually still would enjoy today, I believe. And here's part of his lyrics, which is this verse, by the way. It's got to be halfway decent if it's singing God's word directly from the scriptures. Oh, lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs and even faints for you. And here is my heart. My heart is satisfied 
within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. That's a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting modern-day song. I can't remember where it originated, but it was before him. But we can also translate verse 10 as this. Better is one day spent at church than the other six days. We should long to assemble for this Lord's Day, as we most certainly should long to be with the Lord in eternity, as well as longing for the second coming of Christ. However, not only is one day in his courts better than a thousand elsewhere, or than being in the tents of the wickedness, it is even better than a day or a week in our best vacation spot. Wherever you love to vacation the most, being in the presence of the Lord is better than that. Being in thy sanctuary with the brothers and sisters. That's why in churches like this, we used to see it a lot when I first started coming here five years ago. We'd frequently have visitors that were vacationing up in the mountain community, and they went online looking for a confessional RPW church, and they found our church. And they came and they walked in at the old building. That's because they wanted to keep the Lord's whole day holy. They were still up here vacationing, but they wanted to visit us and be in the presence of the Lord along with fellowship of his saints. One day in God's tabernacle is better than one day anywhere else. Amen? Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good things will be withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's good news. This is a metaphor comparing God God as the sun, S-U-N, comparing God to the sun, S-U-N, praising him as the source of light and energy. For those of you that were here at the beginning of the so-called China virus pandemic, I preached an exposition on Psalm 91. Uh, That was when we were at the height of our lockdown, but we still met. It was an exposition of the text, but it was perfectly applicable to the virus today. That psalm was all about that, and I'm not going to teach that psalm today. It's already online, but here's what verses 2 and 6 says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you, the perilous virus. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence or virus that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. It's a beautiful, encouraging passage. Next, in verse 12, is the blessing of God. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man or woman that trusteth in thee. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusteth in thee. In the beginning of this uh, psalm, in verses 1 through 2, 
The psalmist expressed his deep desire for fellowship with the Lord Almighty. And now he ends this psalm by encouraging us to seek the Lord by putting our trust in him. As another said, verse 12, The essence of godliness is in submissiveness to the great king who will grant his blessings to those who find their refuge in him. In Jesus Christ, the faithful may worship the Father as Jesus is the Father's appointed mediator, the one in whom heaven and earth come together. Church, let us ponder on the thoughts of this psalm. That we should long for the presence of God, that we should long to pray and and talk to him. In the Hebrew, it's called mumbling prayer, to mumble. To mumble words to God, to constantly talk to God, to constantly want to be with God and Christ in the Holy Spirit. When we're driving to the road, driving to work, driving to the store, throughout the day, throughout our daily deeds, all seven days of the week, we must long to be in the presence of the Lord. But we must really even long more to be in the presence of the Lord with his saints on this Lord's Day. And I know this is a church that longs to be with the saints from this church on other days too. And that's the sign of a healthy biblical church that longs for the Lord on other days beyond Sunday and that longs to be in fellowship with his saints from our local church. Father, help us be a better Christian people Father, we give you the praise and the glory for the health and spiritual wealth of this church. We also pray for other churches abroad, your universal church all over the world, that you would strengthen all of us, grow us in your grace and knowledge of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us go out into the world and proclaim your gospel more often. Help us seek those that are lost so that they may be found by you through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.